0: Hi everybody, this is Gary Waite from Pegasus Battlefield Tours here in the UK and you're listening to your Papers, Please podcast. The show that brings you some of the lesser known history of World War II. So, welcome to episode 2, where we're going to relate the story of 20-year-old trooper Cecil Newton, who served in a Sherman tank crew with the British 4-7 Royal Dragoon Guards. This tank unit had two squadrons, equipped with amphibious duplex drive or DD tanks, that would be among the first to land on the beaches of Normandy on D-Day. 20-year-old Cecil found himself at the heart of the spearhead of the Allied invasion of northwestern Europe. I've known Cecil for the past 15 years and spent many days out on the battlefields with him and warm summer evenings talking war stories. Cecil is a very funny man and his humour has often had me in stitches and we've shared some good laughs along the way. But of course, there is always the serious side too which afflicts most who lived through the war and definitely those who fought on the front lines. Cecil lost family and he lost friends. He's taken me to the exact places where friends and colleagues died and where some of them are now buried. I've always felt this had a profound effect on Cecil and is the reason why he has always been at the forefront of his regimental commemorative events and continues to be so to this day even in his old age. Cecil has been the driving force of safeguarding the regimental history and the erection of remembrance plaques and monuments, both sides of the channel. I interviewed Cecil just before Covid at the late Jacques Forcard's house in Normandy. So this is Cecil's story, in his own words, and what he refers to as a trooper's tale.
1: I was a trooper in the fourth seventh Royal Dragoon Guards. I, uh, I joined early 1943 and uh, was 1944 when I was wounded and that was the end of my army career. I had a brother who was very keen cadet at school. He joined the fifth tanks, and unfortunately, he was killed by the SS in Germany. Uh, murdered, as the, the account goes. I wasn't very keen on joining the army, but I, as he, as Frederick went in, and I absolutely adored him, uh, I decided to volunteer myself, and. I volunteered, and within next to no time, I went down to Bovington camp, and joined the primary uh, training regiment there. And after six months, the primary training regiment, I went to the 58th training regiment in tanks. And uh, I was a volunteer I had a choice of which regiment to go into and the 4th 7th Royal Dragoon Guards sounded very very pleasant. So I joined them and uh, after six months of training went to Suffolk in a hutted camp there and then life started to begin. I was 20 year old, a boy a bit naive and, but I enjoyed the camera d very much. they were all very nice. The people in the hut I shared, always willing to have a laugh, always willing to take it out of the officer. I remember having a inspection of the um, a, bed, a bed inspection. And we had to roll our blankets, and everything had to be perfectly uh, uh, immaculate. And to prepare for the inspection, one of the lads got half a dozen contraceptives, blew them up, and hung them from the ceiling of the um, of the hut. So the officer had no choice but to duck. Besides these, to get to do the inspection, he didn't say a word. Uh, really, he just get on with it. No one, as far as I was concerned, was um, uh, reprimanded for doing that. But that was a kind of humour that the my fellow. Uh, sufferers had Uh, we had valentine tanks and then we were told we were going to have go on to swimming tanks and we were equipped with valentine swimming tanks now these duplex drive, now these were an ordinary valentine tank but with a screen that was, could be inflated with rubber pillars that went round it, and it had one propeller. And we went on training to um, Studland Bay, where six uh, tanks sank, unfortunately, which I put up a plaque in their memory later on after the war. However, we went all over the country, up to uh, Tain, uh, Fort George, in training on these tanks. They weren't suitable for land warfare, they had a two-pounder gun on them, but they were very low and the Russians liked them very much, the actual Valentine. And I understand a lot of them were exported to Russia. After the DD Valentine tanks we were told that they were going to be upgraded to Sherman DD tanks with two propellers, very similar, with a 75mm gun. We didn't see those, we saw the Sherman, but we never saw the floating tank until back end of May, 1944, when they were delivered just before we were going to Normandy. However, we managed, we were sent down to Leap, B and C squadrons, and under white bell tents, a crew of five, unlike the Valentine, which was four, And it speaks something of the uh, air superiority, that they could put these two squadrons of bell tents on a hill at Leap in Hampshire. The tanks were eventually delivered. They came, it was a site of the Mulberry Harbour and with a concrete road going down to the beach. And that's where the tanks were delivered. They came along the foreshore and then they parked in a copse at the base of the hill. And there we fitted them out with all the bits and pieces. They were delivered from America with notes from the American ladies wishing us well and we um, put ammunition in them and all that business and they're all in bits and pieces and parts and then we were told that we were going to go on the D-Day expedition soon on the 3rd of June and the camp would be closed so we all got up in the middle of the night and walked to London, AWOL absent without the... Uh, putting bolsters in our beds to resemble bodies. And we got a lift right at the end by an American in a jeep. Some of us had walked all the way, actually. And we came back. We we spent a weekend at home and then we um, came back and some of the uh, AWOLs jumped out of the train before it got to war uh, to escape the MPs, military police and one or two were injured. However, it was bedlam when we did arrive at war. There were these AWOL people, including myself, running like mad all over the platform and out, and the military police couldn't uh, cope with all those people. And so the majority got away from being apprehended. Then on the 3rd of June, they said that was the time we were going. And it was to be the afternoon, a bright sunny afternoon, to be loaded onto landing craft tanks off the hards, as they called them. And these were concrete blocks, like chocolate blocks, laid along the foreshore. And uh, we. Um, we were on one LCT with a troop sergeant, Sergeant Fry. Alongside was the another LCT with the troop leaders tank on it. We semaphored, we had to learn a semaphore in training. So we semaphored the best of luck to each other and then we set sail. We got no further than the needles. Storms arose and we had to wait there. d day was delivered by a day. Eventually, the weather improved and we continued the rest of our journey, arriving off Gold Beach at early hours of the morning. As I was saying, there was a troop leader's tank, was on the one LCT, and then there was a troop sergeant, and I was in the troop corporal's tank. Uh, the officer in charge of the troop, and then there was a sergeant and the corporal. Now, Sergeant Fry, who got the MM, was it Welsh, I must mention him. He was a very, very nice person. So we sailed across in very mucky weather and then lay uh, uh, offshore waiting for the order. We were landing five minutes before the main assault in our duplex drive, Sherman tanks. I could remember it very well. There was a LCT to our right firing rockets, a rocket ship with uh, uh, shoots going up with the rockets, and then there were battleships Bristol and Orion further out firing their shells about the size of a dustbin didn't see the blockhouse that we were earmarked to, uh, to capture. And then Sergeant Fry came round and said, we'll be off shortly, have a cup of tea or something. And that very few minutes after that, an enormous flame shot up into the air and uh, the captain of the um, landing craft knew what had happened and he threatened to shoot the people if they didn't put the flame out. What had happened was that there was a big field cooker in the front and somebody decided to have a cup of tea and uh, he, he it had lost control of it. I was going on a trip, a regimental trip, and I was telling Ken Rudd, the sergeant, about this, and a little voice piped up about two or three seats behind. He said, I was dying for a cup of tea. So I lit that big cooker and it got out of hand. However, didn't do much harm, I don't think. and then." The order came for us to launch. Uh, the ramp went down. Luckily, we were to wade in and not to swim in. It was too rough to swim in. The Americans on our right swam in and they lost 29 tanks or something. Uh, seven Killed, they had the D D S as well in that particular uh, sector and we just waded through the turbulent water, okay, to this blockhouse that was to the west of Gold Beach. We were to go to the right, troop leader to the left. The tide was coming in and uh, the commander of the tanks had to stand at the back and use the tiller to guide us because the driver couldn't see where we were going. The screens were up. We went to the right of the blockhouse with the sergeant and it was a formidable affair. It had a 50 millimetre gun in it and it traversed, enfilade down the beach each way and traversing rear. Luckily, it couldn't fire forward, but it could fire down the beach each side. We went to the right and started to shoot into the gun embrasure of the uh, blockhouse. It had already come under heavy fire from the battleships and there was a, what we didn't know, there was a deep shell hole just to the right of the blockhouse. To fire the 75mm gun, of course, we had to lower the screen and the tank went into that shell hole, got stuck. By that time, of course, the crew of about six had come out of the blockhouse captain in the centre in a white shirt and a pink cap and the four or five crew in that blockhouse stood in the front of it with their hands up and surrendered. We were stuck. Sergeant Fry came round to tow us out. Uh, It came a problem about shackling up the uh, two tanks. The person who really was the troop leader was our driver, whose name was Cliff Ford, and he drove a Rio Speedwagon Somerset Lad in the coal Mines there, and he was Super efficient in anything he did, but of course he had no authority or anything given to. But he was obviously a person of great talent, and so he organised the tank, so shackling up to get our tank out. You can imagine it. We were up to our waist in water grappling with this problem. Cold June day, early June. It's incredible that uh, we we didn't even notice it. There were two young, raw marines dead, flopping about in the surf as they came in, amongst those the nearest to us. They were very young and um, so couldn't shackle up. So he said to the co-driver, you get down there, Wolf, and I'll stand on you while you do the shackling up. And that's what he did, nearly drowned Wolf. it just <laughs> stayed there, standing on him. But he, they did shackle up. But it was of no... It, uh, Sergeant Fry's tank couldn't pull us out. And we had to abandon the tank by the blockhouse. It was very fortuitous, really, because the photographs of the blockhouse now show the gun Pointing our way, and if we'd gone a metre further forward it'd have got us straight through the turret. So that was very fortunate that we went into the shell hole. Otherwise I wouldn't be telling you about this now. Well the orders were to get off the beach as soon as possible. So the troop leader and the troop sergeant went up the lane, which is still there, to the west of Gold Beach. At the bottom of that lane on the beach, there were underground bunkers and there were bunkers above the ground and slit trenches and in one of the slit trenches was a German and uh, he was either dead or very badly wounded. The Navy personnel from the landing craft came ashore and started throwing lumps of rock at this German. There was no other opposition, they'd all fled. And I was sitting on a bedroll and I wondered what the commotion was and I got up and I said to the nearest Navy chap, stop that and I could see him now, he looked at my shoulders to see if I got pips as I hadn't got pips he gave me a push and told me in no certain manner to go away. Well, he uh, very, very soon afterwards, they soft, They stopped that. The stretcher bearers came up and took the German away.
0: Well, this concludes part one of Cecil's story. I'm sure you'd agree, a truly atmospheric listen. In the next episode, we follow Cecil and the four seven Royal Dragoon Guards into the Normandy Bocage and the battles of Christo, Langeve and Verrier. Thank you very much, Cecil. Yes, thanks for listening to Your Papers, Please, with me, Gary Waite. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Please don't forget to subscribe so that you can be informed of all future releases. You can find me under Pegasus Battlefield Tours on Facebook and Twitter, and the website www.pegasusbattlefieldtours.com. Thanks, everyone. Toodlepip!